Welcome to Rockstar Violinist, Electric Violin Shop's podcast featuring string players who are redefining what it means to play the violin or the viola or cello. I'm Matt Bell. Our featured artist this week is Val Vagoda, a wood violins artist. So it's no coincidence that our sponsor for this episode is Wood Violins. Val owns and has owned several Viper violins, and as she'll talk about in this discussion, there's no other instrument that would allow her to do what she does. So what does she do? I'll let her explain it herself. But right now, you're listening to her tune, Just Getting Good, from her album, Just Getting Good. So we'll enjoy that for a minute, and then we'll get right into my chat with Val Vagoda, rock star violinist. Paintings and redwood trees Gotta be on this earth long enough to have work And then get better by degrees This life would not be so funny So we're sitting here in the Tony Kaiser Theater in New York City, and this is... This is your show. Yep, we're on the set. Yeah. Ernest Shackleton loves me. Uh, so early in the morning, um, nobody's here except some people vacuuming. Yeah, you may occasionally hear some some vacuuming or something going on. We, we're literally sitting in this theater early in the morning, and it's uh, it's really cool. I got a chance to see your show on Sunday, and I was blown away. It was amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you could come. It was. Uh, Super creative. I, when I when I first read the premise, I was like, I'm not sure how she's going to pull that off. And <laughs> you totally pulled it off. And I love the fact that you're playing as much as you do and singing and playing at the same time. And it's it's live. Oh yeah. And uh, you know all the stuff that goes with live. You know, there's just so much. You know, you can tell that you've been doing this a long time. You just served it up. And uh, I love the so live much. looping and just it's so good. Well, as someone who has owned a Viper basically as long as I have. Yeah, almost. Right? You, yeah. That means a lot to me, coming from you. And, uh, yeah, the Viper is almost a, a, like a character in the show. For sure. And it really plays a big part in what happens. You know, it's, it's sort of the spark that leads Ernest Shackleton toward the rescue of his men. And um, it has a real stark contrast between the modern lines and sort of sleekness of the viper versus the banjo, which was right. the instrument of Ernest Shackleton's time and the instrument that he insisted on bringing over the ice to keep the morale of his men up even when they were near death. Yeah. And starving and frostbitten and all that. So the people who have not seen this and need to, if you have yep. not seen this, you need to. Um, yes, so, yeah, can you just maybe set up the... the the, uh, the plot a little bit and maybe talk about the writing process and, and all that? Yeah, absolutely. About 13 or 14 years ago, I saw, was it that long ago? Yeah, 2003, I saw a museum exhibit about Ernest Shackleton and I was completely blown away by it. And I couldn't believe that we here in America are not taught about his story. It's one of the most, if not the most unbelievable, inspirational stories of heroism that I had ever encountered. And he is a hero in Britain, but uh, not that many people know about him here. And what happened was, in 1914, he took 27 men to the Antarctic on an expedition. And they were, their goal was to trek across Antarctica, to be the first people to cross the continent by foot. 
and they were in a ship and they got within 100 miles of their destination when the ice first trapped their ship and they had to wait for spring, thinking that the ice would melt and they would then be able to be free in open water. But then that didn't happen. Instead, when spring came, the ice crushed and destroyed the ship and the ship sank, leaving them stranded on the edge of the planet with no hope of rescue. World War I had just started. There was no communications with anyone from the outside world. And there they were. And they should have all died. Right. And it's only because of Ernest Shackleton's unbelievable leadership, brilliant leadership, and relentless optimism that it didn't turn out that way. Yeah. And so what happened was he just insisted on a new goal. Every time something would go wrong, okay, our new goal is to walk across the ice, dragging our lifeboats and everything that we can bring from the ship until we find open water. And he did that, and a huge part of that story was his insistence on the power of music. Mm. And they had a banjo. It was 14 pounds, and every man was only allowed to bring two pounds of gear because mm. they had to be so super <clears throat> careful of how much they were carrying with them. Right. And he knew that was crucial, and he did that. And so they sang songs, and they kept their morale up. And it turned into a three-year horrifying, harrowing ordeal of survival, starvation, frostbite, misery, um, including one of the the most treacherous open water voyage in history, in a lifeboat, a little rowboat, 800 miles to the nearest whaling station. It's, it's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, and because the Royal Geographic Society had sponsored their expedition, they brought along with them a photographer who also took film. This is in 1914. Yeah. Right? So every photo was a heavy glass plate. And, but they knew where their bread was buttered, right? This is the people right. who sponsored them. So they knew, even when their ship was destroyed, they were going to come back with the images. <laughs> so they brought 200 photographs and the film with them over the ice that they're dragging it. And they survived. So one of the most impactful parts of his story is the fact that we get to actually see the real images right. of the men, of the dogs, of the ship being crushed. And that's what we use in the theater as our projections, yeah. our images. So you feel like you're in the journey. So that story, this incredible inspiring story, is something that's inspired me for a long time. And then, as my, my then husband and collaborator, Brendan and I, we were figuring out what we wanted to write in terms of our next musical. And we knew we wanted to write something that I could perform and that he didn't have to. He wanted to be behind the scenes and, and write and produce. And I love the exhilaration of performance. Sure. So we decided to write something for me. And we were introduced to Joe DiPietro, amazing, wonderful playwright and book writer of musicals. He won the Tony for Memphis. He wrote, I love you, you're perfect, not change. And we, both, we all wanted to work together. So we said, okay, we want to write something that I can be in. And we had our first conversation, and I said, but I don't want it to be one of those solo shows that's, you know, an expose of your mom. And, right. <laughs> and I, I said, no, 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 I, I want to write something just resonant, something big and brave and adventurous and epic. And I just blurted out the name, and I said, I don't know, like Ernest Shackleton. And Joe didn't know who that was. And, and you know, like most of us here in the U.S. don't know. Right. So told him the story, and as soon as I mentioned the banjo, he lit up. And he said, that's it. That's the connection between you, Val, with your electric violin and your life, and Ernest Shackleton. 
And so he came up with, and then we ran with this, originally a one-woman show, then it became a two-person show when we introduced the character of Ernest Shackleton and all these right. other men in, in the story. So that what we have now is this very quirky, weird, um, cross-time theatrical collision yeah. of two stories, right? It's a story of Kat, the woman that I play, who is an overworked, overwhelmed, exhausted, single mom artist, right? Electric violinist. She does live looping. She's a composer. She does right. quirky um, musical installations. And she's she writes for video games. She gets fired from her job. She's overwhelmed. Can't make it alone. She has a baby. Uh, she's been <laughs> up for 36 hours. And through the magic of theater, uh, right. she makes this dating video, and the person who responds is Ernest Shackleton, right? He hears her music, her glorious music, and he is inspired in 1914 to bring a banjo <laughs> along on his expedition. So is this a dream? Is this a hallucination? We don't know. It's sort of magic realism. And so Shackleton calls her, and then he Skypes her. Right. And then he comes through the refrigerator yeah, in this it's awesome. <laughs> grand musical theater entrance, and suddenly her apartment, which is this, Coming. is transformed into Antarctica. Coming. And then there we are, the coffee table becomes the rowboat, Hello. and the, uh, the, the molding around the ceiling becomes the mountain, mm -hmm. and we are in the journey, projections are all around us, and suddenly Kat and Ernest are together trying to save the man. And we go on this rollicking, crazy right. journey. Um, here goes nothing. Welcome to the Internet's newest matchmaking site, cupidsleftovers.com. Your last stop for finding any hope of love. Unlike other sites, we don't allow you to use fancy filters to make yourself more attractive. We want our clients to see what it would look like to wake up next to you. Step one, look into your camera. Step two, think of your most appealing self. Step three, press record and state your name and actual age. My name is Kat, I'm 35. Are you sure? <laughs> My name is Kat, I'm 39. No, seriously. <laughs> My name is Kat, I'm 41. Fine, go on. I'm an incredibly <laughs> successful... <laughs> Modestly successful, totally broke composer. This is me, and this is my gear, and this is live looping. I can lay down a couple of bars of music like this. Then it plays back while I lay down another. And I trigger them with my pedals, like this.
self-reliance, ability to fend for herself, ability to stand on her own two feet, as inspired by Ernest Shackleton. And the idea is, if Ernest Shackleton can do that, which he did against all odds, we can do anything. And what I love about this piece is that, the ability to tell this incredibly inspiring story through the lens of this modern character that we can all relate to in 2017, a time at which we really need hope. We for, really for need sure. optimism. We need a feminist manifesto, you know? Yeah. And there's... I could go on and on. I, I am going on and on. No, it's great. <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> but it's such a passion project for yeah. me. I love this message. I love this story. Uh, it's going extremely well. We've worked on this for eight years, right? And... We've had three developmental productions, workshops, readings. We've really, you know, done a lot of iterative work. Iteration, 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 iteration in front of audiences to be able to gauge how it's working, how the sure. jokes are landing, da da, da. And we ha we're in a really good place right now. And the buzz is building. The momentum is here. It looks like we're going to have a real sustained, future. You guys are up future. for some awards too, right? Well, we were eligible for one single award this season because of the timing of our opening. Right. Everything else we're going to be eligible for a year from now. But we were eligible for one, which was the Off-Broadway Alliance. And we yesterday, we won Best New Musical. Boom. Boom. Yeah. So that is a huge awesome. deal. Yeah, it's well a, deserved. Thank you. And it's it, that really bodes well for the future of the show. Even after we, cl we close here on June 11th, because mm -hmm. it's a limited run. There's another show coming in right after us at, at Second Stage. And... Um, it looks very likely that we're going to be moving on to somewhere else extremely soon. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. really exciting. So this is a serendipitous moment. Yeah. <laughs> so you, basically this podcast, Rockstar Violinist Podcast, um, we created in order to sort of inspire especially young people who are maybe sitting in a school orchestra and they're playing what's on the page in front of them, and they're going, yeah, this is fun, and I'm spending time with my friends, but this music isn't really what moves me. I don't know maybe what music would hold for me in the future. I don't want to play in an orchestra when I grow up. And we're sort of introducing to people like Mark Wood. My and, hero. Yeah. Yeah, he made the instrument <laughs> that changed our lives, right? Right, totally. And, uh, and people like Azima Ramsey, who plays with Beyonce, and then there's um, some heavy metal violinists, and there's jazz violinists, and all these people doing different things to say, hey, you can do anything with a violin. And you've completely even busted out of the mold of what all of us who are trying to, to bust out of the mold, you, you went completely out and you said, I'm going to Broadway. So yeah, what was, what was, I mean, obviously I followed Groove Lily way back in the day because there, oh, there just cool. weren't that many Viper players out there. And, and one of the reasons I wanted a Viper is because I play and sing. Right. That's, 
that's our key to be able to do it. And it's so ironic that Mark doesn't sing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he invents the perfect instrument for violinists to sing, and he didn't sing. Um, but yeah, sort of tell me about your journey, maybe starting learning how to play the violin, and then sure. where you came through through all your musical story. Yeah. yeah. Um, I grew up in a very musical family. My father uh, is a jazz pianist, and his father was a, a very well-known cantor, singer of Jewish mm-hmm. liturgical music, and on and on and on back in many generations. So from the time I was super little, I was sitting on the piano bench with my dad and learning how to read music and sing along with Gilbert and Sullivan and jazz standards and stuff. And where was that? In McLean, Virginia. Okay. I grew up in yep. the D.C. suburbs. Sure. And my I sort of started to play a little bit of keyboard with my dad, but there was also that push-pull of, it's your dad. You know, it's, it's hard to take the music lessons from your own father. Right. And uh, so what I really wanted to do was be in the school uh, ensemble. And I, originally I wanted to play the trumpet. And that happened just as my baby teeth had fallen out. And they said, well, sorry, but you can't play the trumpet right now. You're going to have to wait a year. And, uh, but we need violinists right now in the orchestra. And so a year to me at age eight seemed like forever. And I said, okay, I'll play the violin right now. And so it was just this sort of chance. And I fell in love with it It, immediately. I I just adored it. And so from fourth grade on, I was a violinist. And I was also a singer. And those were always very separate activities. And I was in the choir and I was in the orchestra. And I got pretty serious about my classical violin playing. I went to summer music camps at Meadowmount. and did, uh, I also went to what Music Academy of the West in uh, Santa Barbara and studied very seriously and did concerto competitions and all that stuff. And it was great and I loved it, but it also was a big source of fear. Like it was very, very stressful mm-hmm. to learn something and then have to go in front of the jury. The jury. They couldn't come <laughs> up with a, with a more soothing word. I know, right? right? And I, I would just get so nervous. My knees would shake, and it just, it was very, very stressful and very competitive, too. And it sort of sucked the joy out of making music. Right. And I knew that as much as I loved playing the violin and as much as I loved the music that, that I was playing, these, you know, Mendelssohn Concerto and Cacciaturian and all these gorgeous Dvorak, um, I knew that wasn't really going to be my future. You know, first of all, there were always going to be lots of other people who could run circles around me with their Paganini and their perfect etudes and 10 hours a day of practicing. Right. And that wasn't going to be my path. And I also knew that I loved pop music. I'm a real word person. I love lyrics. I love Billy Joel. I love mm. Sting and James Taylor and Tori Amos and Sean Colvin and all of these singer-songwriters, and that was sort of the music that I listened to more, and Stephen Sondheim, theater, all that. And so it was pretty soon. High school was the peak of my real classical seriousness. And I went to college and started writing songs and decided that I wanted to somehow combine singing, writing, playing the violin. I didn't really know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And after college, started to experiment with electric violins. So you went to music school in college? Uh, I didn't. I went to Princeton University. I was a liberal arts major, sociology major, um, because the music department there was very, very geared toward 
serious classical composition and very cerebral, like Milton Babbitt, Roger Sessions, 12-tone, um, very challenging music. It wasn't really my style. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I decided not to be a music major there, and I studied sociology, the study of human beings and their behavior and why they do things, right. which to me is so related to all of it, to songwriting, to storytelling, sure. and that's where my, my interest was, really. So I uh, started writing songs and playing in bands, and little by little, started experimenting with trying to sing and play at the same time, and I was awful at it when I first started. I, I literally could not play an open A string and sing an A at the same time. It's hard. It's super hard, right? Did you have a situation like that yeah, where it absolutely. felt like your brain I, I, was coming apart? And, and I'm a terrible guitar player, but I'm better at singing and playing guitar than I am at singing and playing the violin. Well, I think it's because the violin and the voice are so similar. It's like it's using the same part of your brain or something. I think it does. Yeah, so you have to learn how to take that little part and split that out. And to me, that took, it took a year for me to even play the simplest thing. Uh, it was exhausting. Um, but I knew it could be done because mm -hmm. I had seen Alison Cornell. Okay. Do you know her? No. She is an amazing multi-instrumentalist who, when I first moved to New York in 1993, I saw her backing up a musician called Rachel Sage. And she was at the bitter end, this little club, and she was there, acoustic violin, Nothing fancy. Right. Singing to microphones right here by her mouth. And she was totally making it happen. Singing complicated backup parts, playing different rhythms on her violin. I, I just watched her mesmerized. I was like, okay, it's possible. Right. <laughs> and um, so I, I did that. I struggled for a while. And then I heard about Mark Wood. And I saw a picture of him with his Viper. And it just immediately... I knew that was going to change my world. Yeah. And so I tracked him down and I went to his studio in Port Washington mm -hmm. and I became the first woman to purchase one of his Vipers. And it definitely took some getting used to, but it really changed my life almost immediately because as you know, suddenly you don't have a chin rest to worry about right. and you can turn your head, you can sing into a mic, the violin stays put. And I was, I was much more easily able to start singing and playing. Um, simultaneously. So did you go straight to a sixth string? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I definitely went through about six months of shoulder soreness mm -hmm. and just my body readjusting to how to play that right. and always hitting the wrong string. <laughs> and um, I'd say after about a year, I was pretty comfortable with it. And I ended up getting a second one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm thrilled that I have that I have two. I can switch back and forth. Right. Uh, and I'm super happy with it. I don't need to do a seven string. That's a little too big for me. But the six is perfect because you can really have a big range, get all the way down to cello range yep. and accompany yourself to lots of rolling arpeggiated chords and power chords and stuff uh, and really think about the instrument harmonically in addition to melodically, Right. which I know for a lot of us, it's, and I, I totally relate to this. I'm such a linear melodic Thinker. Well, that's how we're trained, is violinists, right? Right, yeah, and singers. Mm -hmm. So, um, you had started after, once you discovered the Viper, <clears throat> you started another band, right? Uh, yes. Uh, I, first it was called the Valerie Vigoda Band, and um, then it really became a collaborative uh, trio. And it was me on my Viper and singing, 
and we had Brendan Milburn on keyboards. He would play right hand comping keyboards, left hand bass and sing. Right. <laughs> and then Gene Lewin was our drummer and he was drumming and singing like a mad, mad thing. So we were serious multitaskers, all of us right. in our trio. And we had a, a really interesting quirky sound because um, all three of us came from such different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. You know, I came from the classical world and sort of singer-songwriter arena. And Brennan was a kind of Bruce Hornsby meets musical theater guy. And Gene was a real jazz drummer. And so we had lots of two-part harmony and lots of storytelling, interesting songs, three different lead singers. Right. And we hit the road and we were touring in our van doing a DIY indie thing mm -hmm. for years, like I'd say about seven years or so. And then after we got a little bit burned out on all the driving, we were making a living, but right. it was like we were getting paid to drive yeah. and then we would play for free. Yeah. <laughs> and we had the freaking sound system in the van and it was, you know, when you do everything, you're promoting, you're setting up the sound system, you're booking the gig, like all of it is on you. It's a and lot. It's 100% effort. And then there's not, it's very easy to just then lose some of the creativity, right? It wasn't like we were doing all the stuff that it would take to get to the gig and do this gig and then writing a bunch of songs too, right? At the point where we were doing 150 gigs a year, it, we were slogging out 150 gigs a year. Right. And then we were given the opportunity to make a little turn into the world of musical theater. After we had tried for years to be signed by a major label, and we had done many, 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 many showcases in which the response was always, well, this is interesting, this is different, refreshing, and it's a little too theatrical. You guys are a little too Broadway, I don't know how to sell this. Thanks, but no thanks. So we always felt, we're too theatrical, we're too Broadway, we gotta change. <laughs> And it wasn't until we stopped trying to fit our square peg into the round hole of the radio-friendly music industry, and instead we're like, oh, we're theatrical, we're Broadway, let's do that. Let's go where we are celebrated, right? And as soon as we did that, the world opened up for us. And you mentioned thinking outside of the, outside of the box of, of what violin can do. It's more, to me, it's more just being in alignment with what fuels you what you love in your heart, mm -hmm. right? And then the violin can be a tool that you use in service of that, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, Latin-tinged rock or musical theater or whatever it is. Yeah. And the violin is so not a one-trick pony. You can do whatever you can imagine with it. And so we made that turn into the world of theater and wrote our first musical, along with the wonderful playwright, Rachel Schenken. Uh, there's some garbage empathy right. going on there. People are in here Hello. working. We're seeing the talk of this. People trying to make a living here. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, so we, we collaborated on a piece called Striking 12, which is our first musical. And that really changed our lives, my life, uh, yet again. That was a big, big turning point. Um, it was actually partly inspired by Mark Wood and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Okay. Right? I actually was hired and spent um, one year in the local string section in New York, and then uh, I was hired to be the West Coast concertmaster while Mark Wood was on the East Coast, and I went around uh, being the leader of the string section for uh, two seasons with them. 
and it was a holiday, as you know, a holiday concert with a story. Right. And we were very inspired by that. We decided to create our own Groove Lily holiday concert with a story. Instead of being a Christmassy one, ours is New Year's Eve. Okay. And so it was based partly on The Little Match Girl by Hans Christian Andersen. And it was basically all us being the musicians, being the actors, being the narrators, being the writers. And it was at a time when that was not yet a trend, right? There's right. now this big trend of actor musicians. Um, John Doyle has done a bunch of productions of uh, things like Sweeney Todd, where every actor has a musician, uh, has a musical instrument on stage with them. Mm. So, but we, we did this before all of that happened, so we were sort of pioneers without realizing it. And Striking 12 became a, a critically acclaimed off-Broadway hit. It's now licensed all over the world for people to do. Awesome. Yeah. And, it, and suddenly we had found a, a niche where we were sort of straddling the world of pop music and musical theater. So we came into theater through the side door. Right. And suddenly we were being hired not only to do our own uh, writing and performances, but also to write for other people. So for commissions from Disney and uh, other theaters. And so that's been the crazy path for the last little while. Um, so wanted to drive less, so we're able to able to do that. Drive less, right? Have a have a kid. Right. <laughs> My wonderful eleven year old is sitting up there in the, yeah. <laughs> the seats of the theater right now. Um, and here we are. Uh, I think I answered your question. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, <laughs> So talk a little bit about gear. I mean, we're sort of sitting here, and those of you yeah. that are just listening, you're, you're missing out. We do have some video here that maybe you guys can try to find. But um, So we're sitting here on your set. A big chunk of your set, obviously some of it's theatrical, but most of this is, is functional. And, oh, yeah. And talk about, talk about your gear. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that has been the big learning curve for all of this uh, is the live looping aspect. And it's something that when we conceived of this show, we thought it was going to be a one-person show and that I would be really creating all the music. Meaning, 
that we had to learn how to do it. So Ableton Live, mm -hmm. uh, the program, and a bunch of pedals, and creating a, a pretty unusual way of live looping, where instead of sort of building and building on a certain chord progression, which is uh, sort of a typical way to do it, right. it has a lot of navigation around through scenes uh, or sections of songs, so that there's a lot of foot choreography with the pedals. Right. And um, again, just like just like really with singing and playing at the same time, it's that same feeling of left brain and right brain colliding. Right. <laughs> and and it's like a it was a painful sensation for me for years. <laughs> and like I said, it's been eight years of development of this. Musicals take a really long time. Yeah. And so, and you don't really have control of it. It's bigger than us, right? So you, there has to be a theater, a producer, money raised, you know, all this stuff that's external to your own control. And so we thought, okay, we can create, because we now have the skills of the live looping, can create a concert that I can just go do separate from this big musical and over a series of iterations and figuring out what gear worked and how to put it all together now have the ability to go into a space whether it's someone's living room or a theater and bring two suitcases each 50 pounds or less on the plane mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> got the vibes overhead it's like it's very you know uh, planned out and create the whole thing. All I need is a sound system, and I can plug in left and right. I got all the gear. And I have to say, I'm not really a very tech-savvy... Uh, I'm not really a technophile that much. I have some fear of, of it. <laughs> <laughs> and in order to get through that... I mean, I certainly did not do this alone. Um, Brendan and I did this, designed this whole thing very much together. Um, I have a picture on my wall of a woman passionately kissing a man who is entirely made up of the uh, graphics from Ableton Live. Mm. And to me, that symbolizes falling in love with technology. And I had right. to remind myself, fall in love with technology. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so powerful. You know, I never imagined that as a violinist and singer that I would be able to, on my own, without an accompanist, no pianist, no guitar player, right. create... The, all of it, the, the chordal accompaniment to put on a whole show using drum machines and you know, layering the violin and all that. So the gear, the specific gear that I use in my looping concert, which is different from this, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you why in a moment, um, I use the liquid foot, um, which I love because you can stomp on it hard and you have an LED display. Mm -hmm. And to me, knowing I have successfully hit that yeah. And there it is. That it, helps, it, you can that see that helps it. Yeah. a lot. Um, I use that. I have four boss pedals um, that uh, look just like, yeah. I don't know if you can see Yeah, this, all, your, all your trigger pedals. Yeah, yeah. The trigger pedals are attached to the liquid foot, so it looks like a little oct octopus. And that's what I use for my feet. And then I have Ableton Live. Um, for my interface, I use a, um, a K-Mix, Keith McMillan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I use as much Keith McMillan gear as possible because it is so sturdy. You can freaking roll over it with a truck and it's gonna be fine. Right. And it took a while to get to that point because um, put together this whole concert, which is called Just Getting Good, and recorded it in 2014. We were still waiting for this production to happen. Had no idea how long it was gonna because be. Because you still gotta be working. While, yeah, while all you can't the, just you, hover and wait. Right. You got, yeah. You know how it is as, mm -hmm. as a musician. We call it 
I think the official term for it now is a portfolio career. Oh, yeah. Right? Where you are diversifying yourself. Mm -hmm. So you you basically just have to have a lot of irons in the fire, lots of projects. Right. And because you never know when they're going to land, and and you got to just keep generating it. So it's up to us. We are the masters of our own fate. That's true. Yeah. So this concert now is something that, that I can do. The first time that I did it, after we recorded the whole thing, I had to go do a corporate event, and I had four checked bags for the airline. Three of them were overweight, so I was paying hundreds of dollars in baggage fees each way to get onto mm-hmm. the plane, and I realized this is completely unsustainable. Right. So then the task was to make it smaller, make it smaller, make it smaller. I got rid of the keyboard completely, so now I'm not playing in those concerts keyboard. Um, and then we had to rearrange songs so that it would work with just the violin and the percussion and s- slimmer, smaller, everything. Right. Uh, but the good news is, this is an incredible time for all of that. The technology has gotten so much faster since yeah. we started doing this. Started working on this in about 2010. And at that time, the computer that I was using, which was a you know, perfectly good Mac at that moment, in Ableton Live, when you have to trigger something to occur, if you want something to happen on beat one of a bar, mm-hmm. you have to trigger it the bar before. Okay. Right. So you have to really be anticipating what's going on, and that's why it's right. so much planning, so much left brain. And at the time, in order for something to happen on beat one, I had to trigger it no later than beat two of the bar before. Mm because it was so slow, it would take that long for it to catch up. Right. Now, in 2017, I can trigger it a millisecond before the, time, before the yeah. bar, and it just works. <laughs> so everything is getting easier, faster, nimbler, smaller, right. wireless. I mean, it's just mind-blowing how cool it is. And we're gonna go far beyond what, I, what I'm doing here very shortly. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the show itself, because this is a theatrical production and Unlike in a freewheeling, live looping concert at somebody's house or even a, a place where, where I'm just on stage and it's up to me, right. there are a lot of people involved here. Mm-hmm. There's a whole cast of you know, crew, yep. people all synchronized with lighting cues and sound cues and all of it. So it would not do for me to hit the wrong pedal or hit it too early or whatever and for everything to come to a screeching halt and right. me to say to the audience, sorry guys, we're going to take it again. Yeah. <laughs> so... The way we do it here is different. Um, what I am doing, when I hit pedals up mm-hmm. here, I'm actually hitting props. And behind the screen, our wonderful music director is actually controlling the Ableton Live. So he's mirroring what I'm doing. When I hit a pedal, he hits it. And he actually talks into my ear through my ear monitor. Right. So if something goes wrong and something doesn't get triggered in time, he says, Don't sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just to me and just to, to Wade, my co-star. Right. So it's a very complicated system of inter of communication with each other. We also hand off parts. So I'll play the keyboard for a while, and that'll be the actual keyboard that's being you know played and captured or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he'll take over with the same sound patch, and I'll go play something else. And it'll keep going, or I'll go row the rowboat in the front of the stage. Right. You know, so it's because there's so much going on in terms of acting and other music in addition to what is being looped. Right. So it's, uh, you know, there are also situations where, like, 
there's a number where Wade and I are both singing together and I come over and I loop brushes on the bongos. Yep. Right? And I do that and that is actually being captured. And if we were to loop what was just picked up by the microphone, we would be hearing brushes on bongos, my voice, Wade's voice, the banjo, the tambourine looping. So that's not good. So we have clean versions of all of those that get flown in and slipped in right after the, the capturing. So it's just a big giant matrix of, of planned out uh, events. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's theater. Yeah, exactly. So so it, the idea is for it to run like a well-oiled machine. Right. You know, and just like in huge productions like Cirque, Cirque du Soleil, for example, they have redundant uh, systems, redundant Absolutely. Ableton for sure. And this is the first time. This is our fourth production of the show. This is our first time having a redundant system. There are two microphones on my little headset. Mm-hmm. So if one goes down, they hit one button and it goes into the, to the backup. Right. We have two Ableton systems. Ryan can hit one button and go to the backup. And we've had to do both of those during this run. That's why you have that stuff. Exactly. Because things can, can go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I uh, I can also show you backstage if you want to see yeah, we'll the, definitely have to do that. his station and the green screen and all that stuff. Yes. So uh, for those of you watching or who are listening, those of you watching can see. Those of you <laughs> listening... The, the whole back of the theater is, or the, the back of the set is, is video screens. And so they're showing footage from the expedition. They're showing, you guys are showing the actual photos from the expedition, right? Yes, those um, are the actual photos from 1914. Um, and we also show some screenshots from Ableton Live. So you sort of right. see what's happening with the live looping as well. So it's the collision of those worlds. Too. And on the way out, as everybody's leaving, you get to see a, a brief shot of, of your MD, I guess, yep. backstage. Yep, of who's, Ryan. Who's, who's back there playing. And yeah. um, the, the music-savvy people, I, when I'm sitting here, I can tell that that there's a loop that's been handed off. Yeah. Nobody else here knows that a loop's been handed off. That's right. You know, my okay. wife for sure didn't know. Yeah. Um, in fact, when you're talking about the brushes on the bongos, I noticed that. When you are yeah. doing that, I was like... <laughs> I got that. She played that live, and then what I'm hearing back is not that. Right. But that it is so. It it would take a person who's been around loopers for years and years and years to notice that. Yes. It, it's it's really good. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's really good. <laughs> and 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 I was thinking about that as you're looping some of this. I'm like, there's other stuff happening right now. Right. Because because you know it's it's obvious that okay I'm I'm looping because you've you've been doing a lot of live looping yes and it's obvious okay when I, when I'm doing this percussive thing it's going to get looped mm-hmm. and I thought there's other stuff going on right now and yeah. then it, it didn't come back around and I went these guys are slick they're good <laughs> these guys are good good for good on you for for noticing you're like the point oh one percent of people yeah the people who would glean that people will not notice no. and and it's it's so good. Um, in fact, after the show Sunday, Wade, your co-star, who's fantastic, by the way. Right. He is so, he, he's like the guy you just want to hang out with. Yeah. Right. He's <laughs> so charismatic and so amazing. And what a, what a great singer and performer and actor. He's unbelievable. We are so lucky to have him. Yeah. He is the perfect partner to do this with. He is not only an incredible talent and a chameleon on stage, as you've seen, mm. uh, but also just a buoyant spirit, a wonderful person. So yeah, he he was he was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, but he he had mentioned after the show that you know he had a he had a, a performance issue. He had something happen that wasn't what was planned. 
Oh, right. And, and I was like, I thought it was part of the show. <laughs> Good. I mean, That's the thing, right? It's so, I think this is very relevant to us as violinists and string players, right? When we think something goes wrong, it's partly because of our training as classical musicians. It's fear-based. Like, oh my God, I better not hit a wrong note, right? And it's been drilled into me, you know, first by my father as a jazz pianist, then by my bandmates who were, you know, big improvisers and jazz and rock and roll people. And now uh, by, you know, very present and wonderful uh, actors and, and directors. And it's the same lesson, which is you've got to immediately forgive yourself, first of all. Right. And then, if you can, feature it. Yeah. Right? Wrong and strong. It's like, oh, you play a wrong note? Play it again. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to know this. Yeah, this is your opportunity to show people how creative you are. Exactly. <laughs> and it always works, right? And it's that transparency that it really actually draws people in. And what happened specifically with Wade that night, he was having a, an issue with coughing um, with his throat, which happens a lot. There's a lot of snow in this mm -hmm. show, and it's uh, flakes. These flakes are made of potato. Oh, and my we, goodness, we, yeah. And, you know, they, they do blizzards on us, so right. it's coming down right in our faces. And we joke about having spud lung, like that's our disease. That's so funny. <laughs> in a bad case it's of occupational spud lung. hazard. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so he got some stuck in his throat, and he was, it was coughing. And he featured it. Instead of trying to hide it, he right. like put his arm up in the air and went, <coughs> you know, <laughs> in the character of Shackleton, right? And it brought you in and it right. made you think there's no mistake here. Yeah. To the point where you did not notice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's our that's our lesson that we have to keep learning. And, and I, that's a life <laughs> lesson too, right? Completely. Yeah. Complete yeah. life lesson. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's walk around a little bit no and see some explorer. stuff. Yeah. Adventure fills the heart, but not the purse. Oh, he'll tell you there'll be riches. And the polar ice be riches. But you'll lose your shirt and all your cash, or worse. Don't you give your money to no musician. They'll blow it all on guitar strings and bread. If you want a sound investment, Soft machine, the roulette wheel instead. They'll tell you anything to change your mind. Tell you how they're in a bind. How they're on the verge of something great. Then they'll promise you the moon and the red comes too. They change their tune. And then you realize it's much too late. Oh, never give your money to no musician or explorer. Don't give us Despite our best intention You'll need legal intervention If you ever want that money back again Cause you know we ain't like other folks We push and pull and pry and coax The beauty from the boring and mundane We don't know from financial things We live like paupers, dream like kings Everybody thinks that we're in the same Better, brillianter and broker Than well off and mediocre
the stage. Let's go around here and I'll show you where Ryan's station is. And this is a reel-to-reel -reel machine that is actually operational. Um, it, it moves and it lights moves. up during the show, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, we don't record on it. But so we got to look at these Vipers real quick because we're oh, music yeah. nerds. They're both the same, they're just different colors. Right. And we put some, uh, the wireless on the back here for both of those. Beautiful. So which one was your first one? I got them at the same time. Oh, you ordered yeah. two at a time. My very first one, I actually, was, was a, an older design, mm -hmm. and I, um, I no longer use that one. I, I sold that one, and these were both simultaneous. I did the same yeah. thing. I've had did four you? of them. You've had four, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You have to have two at a time. Yeah. Well, I had a... I had a very pivotal moment happen to me when Striking 12 was off Broadway and it was press night and the New York Times and every other press person was in the audience. It was the big night and I was only using one Viper at the time and there was a moment in the show where it was a totally exposed moment and all that was happening on stage was me playing a pizzicato with a delay, nothing else, and no sound came out, nothing happened. and. I was internally thinking, okay, what, what is it? Is it the volume knob? Is it the battery? Right. I checked everything. Nothing was wrong. And luckily, I happened to have another violin that was just set dressing. Like, I, we weren't even using it, but the director liked the way it looked. Right. So it was sitting over there. And I just sort of calmly walked over and I <laughs> picked it up and I was able to complete the show. And that turned into... Ray from New the New York Times, life-changing, right? And it turned out, afterward, we checked out what happened with the violin. A piece of solder had come loose internally. So there would have been no way to con solder. continue the show yeah. if I hadn't had that other violin. So now I'm totally superstitious. I always bring two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have two of everything that I so need smart. to yes. do my job. Very yep. smart. Like you have two phones today. Two phones today. See? It's crazy. Saving the day. Look at me. <laughs> So here we are. This is my tuner. <laughs> and this is the monitor board right here. And Emily sits here. She is the, the A2. And she does all the monitor mixing. So you're using in-ears during the show? Yep. We, we each have one in-ear and right. the other ear is free. Right. So that we can both hear for real and have the click going and everything else that we need. Um, and also, the, the show is pretty loud as far as other noises, right? We're in storms and hurricanes and, right. you know, gale winds. <laughs> so, like, the sound design itself is just, like, huge. So we really need to be able to hear ourselves. Right. Um, this tarp is here because one of many miracles happened. This, this show has been fraught with serendipities and very interesting miracles. Um, about a week ago, there was a huge flooding downpour rain and it, it just crazy floods everywhere and it was 10 in the morning and nobody should have been here but wade my co-star had auditions for something else and he happened to come to the theater to go get his steamer and steam his voice couldn't get into the dressing room so he came down here to try to find somebody to let him in and he heard a noise it's like that's a weird noise he came back here and he saw water gushing from the ceiling <gasps> onto all the sound gear. No. Uh, yeah. And he was like, oh. <laughs> he ran, got a towel, he got the stage manager, he called in the, everybody, and they were able to quickly dry it off and 
everything was fine. And so this yeah. is why they have a tarp. But it, wow. 30 minutes later, and everything would have been ruined. We would yeah. have had no show. It would have been over. Uh, right? That would have been inconvenient. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so here we are. This is Ryan's station. And so he talks to us through this mic. Okay. It whispers in our ears. Let's talk back. Mm-hmm. And he has his Ableton set up right over there and um, plays both of these keyboards and is just a wizard. And then there's the camera that he gets recorded at the end of the show. Yeah. So it's always awesome. live. Yeah. So we want people to know. And there's the telephone with which he can communicate with other people backstage. Yep. And I think that's it. Yeah. So this way... Oops. That's new. <laughs> so, okay, let's see if we can get around this. All your projectors back. Yeah, projectors down here. We usually walk on the other side of it. For sure. But this is a new structure. And um, fog. Yep. And that fog gets pumped into the refrigerator, so it looks like right. um, the the you know icy whatever that be. icy wind coming out of <laughs> coming out of the fridge. And then here is Wade's station for oh, the, green, the screen. green screen. Yeah. Yeah. So everything that you see is live. Right. Um, he does all the live Skyping. Um, and uh, he has X's on the wall marked so that he knows what to look at. And he just, he is here and he, he is several different characters from here. He right. starts the show with five shirts on. Oh. And <laughs> And how are we just getting those yeah, fast costumes? Co yeah, you just take yeah. them off one after the other. Uh, and here are all his little accessories. That's awesome. His, uh, you know, fur mittens and hat and snow. He puts snow all over his beard. Right. Um, special frosting. And then, of course, he has some lyrics here to remind himself. And this is also where some other helpers come and, you know, flutter his scarf to make sure that it looks like it's the wind. Right. Things like that. Uh, and that's it. Awesome. That's the green screen area. And then here's just the side area. There's a viper stand. And um, Kelly hangs out over here and hands off props and stuff. And then snow gets blown in from both sides and from above. So we have a, you know, it really feels like blizzards from, from everywhere. Well, like shaved potatoes. Yeah. Spudlum. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. The magic of theater. Yes. <laughs> and then here's the banjo, which is... Sort of the antithesis, antithesis of the violin, right. of, the, of the viper. They distressed it to make it look old. So he plays banjo. Has, yeah, was he, he learned. A, was, oh, so he had to learn for the show. Yeah, yeah. He had played some guitar before. And you had to learn for the show. I did. I took I took two banjo lessons. Two banjo. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like the uh, what was the um, uh, what was the show the um, uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's yeah, Day Ferris Off. Bueller's Day. Yes. He's sitting homesick. Yes. He's got like his marching band uniform right? oh, pulls yeah, out the yeah, clarinet yeah. and he's just honking and squeaking yeah. and pulls it out, looks at the camera and goes, never took a lesson. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um I, I loved learning this and I would love to learn more. Um in the past I've also played a little bit of mandolin. Mm -hmm. And for me the hardest part is that right hand dexterity. You know, yeah. I'm a real I'm a real left handed person. Right. And I found in just informal polling that so many violinists are right. left-handed, and I think we have the facility with mm. that hand more often than with the right hand. Yeah, like so. the bow is no problem for me. I've been playing a bow since I was a little kid, but yeah. a mandolin pick just kicks my tail. Yeah. And, and it's funny because all my guitar player buddies who play mandolin, 
are like, oh, I could play a violin if it wasn't for that stinking bow. I just can't, you know. Yeah, it's something about the way the wrist moves this way versus like this and the fingers. Yeah, it's a real challenge. Yeah, That's so fun. yeah, you actually have to play the, the banjo in the show and sing at the same time, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the hardest part of that is that the baby is making so much noise at that time, too. Oh. Um, There's the, the baby and there are speakers in it. Oh, right? okay. So it's completely you know, sourced from here. And so that the audience can just maybe it's like super loud. <laughs> I wasn't sure if they were just flying that in through the PA. No. And uh, so, so we had to really adjust my ear volume so that I had tons of banjo in my ear to overcome, that the, is overcome awesome. the baby. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I love everything about this show. Thank you so much for Yeah, well, thanks so much for doing and, the interview. Yeah. This is, this is going to be a great episode. The fabric I'm really looking forward to this one. Awesome. Well, yeah. it's been a delight. My name is Kat. This is my gear. I write music that's adventurous and bold. I write all day. I write all night. I write music in my parka in the cold. I compose modern operas. I like to think that they are groundbreaking and new. So that was Val Vagoda, who is truly a rock star and a visionary and an amazing talent. And as you can tell from the interview, she is a lot of fun to hang out with. Speaking of hanging out with Val, we've now done several interviews with members of the Mark Wood family. Teachers that you can learn from in person at the annual Mark Wood Rock Orchestra Camp. Val is one of those people, as is Joe Denizon from episode 13. Mark himself from episode one, and several more people that are in upcoming episodes. Teaser alert. Please see the show notes for more info on the camp, on Val herself, on the play Ernest Shackleton Loves Me, on wood violins, and on Electric Violin Shop. Speaking of our Mark Wood family, it is with extreme shock and sadness that I'm editing this episode on the day that we lay our friend Kenny Bosco to rest. Kenny was one of the luthiers at Wood Violins and a friend to many of us in that family. From Val's Facebook page, quote, in addition to being an immensely skilled luthier who worked on the Viper electric violins I play, he was a spectacular human being, utterly genuine, intensely curious, and extremely kind. He would have been 34 years old tomorrow and he was taken from us in a tragic car accident. From all of us in the Wood Violins community, Kenny, we love you, and we'll miss you more than we can say. It sucks. It really sucks. But if I must be the muse for these boys, as they sit on their asses in front of their screens, then I will give these little wankers the ride of their life.